Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, torontomotorsports.com. Back from a really, really excellent trip to St. Petersburg, Florida. <sighs> First time there since 2019. And I tell you what, great to see a lot of people. Great to see passion and energy at the track. Huge, huge crowd. So many folks really, really loving themselves. Some IndyCar racing. Wonderful party to close out the weekend. Put on by my pal Chris Wheeler and Claire Bourdais for our French fry. Give Sebastian the IndyCar career farewell. He did not have at Long Beach last year what proved to be his last regular full season ride. Can't say if he'll never, ever, ever race an IndyCar again, but just wanted to make sure that while we had everybody together, went and gave him a lot of love. Everybody turned out, so that was pretty darn cool. So some of his closest rivals, deepest rivals, crew chiefs, mechanics, uh, PR, up and down, all kinds of folks. Wonderful, wonderful evening to cap the uh, the St. Petersburg Grand Prix. So hope you got a chance to follow along. Was doing something new, as I mentioned, the hashtag MP show me. Did a number of those little videos. Probably got three or four or five more just sitting on my phone. I use my phone for all that. Uh, shot all that. We'll try and get some of those going here. Uh, ASAP, bit of a fun journey getting home. <laughs> uh, let's see, what did I do? I got to bed Sunday night at about one. I guess that'd be Monday morning at one. Filed the last little story that I could. Was up about three hours and 15 minutes later or so. Got to the airport, crazy crush to get on the plane. Barely got on the plane for a 6.15 flight home. Uh, got home at, I forget exactly what time, but 12-ish on Monday uh, in California here. Uh, went straight to the bathroom and took a COVID test. Luckily, it was negative. Uh, I was one of very few people wearing a mask last weekend, if not double masked. So the efforts to uh, thwart the Rona were successful. And then it was just into a, uh, a full day of all of our appointments and whatnot and Got a ton of things due to Racer. Mailbag got filed today. A couple other stories got filed today. Um, working on some of those yesterday. Conked out early. It's it just been a it's been a weird and strange ride. And it's been a little while since I've had to go through the whole time change thing. Not been able to fall asleep until 3 or 4 in the morning. Uh, Eastern. Then getting up at a couple hours later and being trash all day long and yeah just weird getting back into that cycle enjoyed it not a complaint just it's been a little while since i've done that y'all so anyways appreciate those who went along for the ride i tell you from what i hear from racer we had excellent excellent traffic and folks reading along so between all that what we did on social media hopefully the uh, st petersburg grand prix was a good one for you. Beyond that, uh, I think it's just time to get rolling here, and we're going to do a little bit of uh, music bed as we often do to get into your Q&A. 
I've got a finite amount of time tonight, starting this recording Tuesday at 7.28 p.m. And uh, yeah, i got more work to do once I'm done here. So why don't we start off with our pal Justin Holmes. Jack Kelly is here as well, asking about something new that we, uh, we launched last weekend, myself and the aforementioned Chris Wheeler, who is also known as Pata Award Spotter. But that's, that's just one of many things that Wheeler does. Like me, Wheeler's been around the paddock forever, and uh, he looked after Bell Racing Helmets USA for a long time. He spotted for a lot of teams, does a lot of different things on the dirt racing, kart racing. He's, he's all over the place. So a man of the paddock uh, and uh, a dear friend started what we are now calling hashtag Racing Family Twitter Spaces Show. So, yes, the guy that already has enough shows on his podcast has added a new one. But the main thing that I love about this is it's live. Not that I don't enjoy this. I've got 79 questions that have come in the day after doing a two-hour live podcast, answering lots of questions and or talking about a lot of the race stuff. So, clearly... There's still plenty of demand for doing uh, this format as well. But uh, Justin Holmes is asking to kick off, and how you doing, Justin? Uh, at Holmes13J, what will be the plan moving forward with the hashtag Racing Family Show? Will there continue to be drivers hopping on, or will it just be whoever shows up? I love it, though. And uh, Jack Kelly, at Kelly Jack Thomas on Twitter, says, Would there be any way for the audio of your Twitter spaces to be added to the podcast feed? Would love to listen back to it on my podcast client. So yes, yes, and yes. Going to figure that part out and get that done ASAP. So Wheeler and I did a test run, I think, uh, Wednesday night and went okay. So then Thursday night, I think it was, we maybe kicked off the first one. Might have been Friday. I don't know. I don't, I'm, it's a bit of a blur, but... I know that it sure was fun here Monday night, and that might end up being where we do these in terms of it being a relatively fixed timing for the uh, hashtag racing family show uh, on Twitter spaces. Did that at five California, uh, eight Eastern. And I tell you what, <laughs> it sure was a blast. Uh, I mean, Chris and I are just two monkeys, uh, so we take that as the least engaging part of the show but it was really fun reaching out to some driver friends to say hey if you're free if you're interested we'd love to have you join in this is going to be our first real kind of public show if you want to call it that one where we're actually making an effort to break down the race and it'd be great to have some of you there we had the podium y'all <laughs> we had race winner scotty mclaughlin scotty mack joined in alex polo who was p2 our boy uh, our fried chicken boy, the member of the Prude Club here, uh, he joined in. Will Power joined in. Simon Pagino was there. Connor Daly was there. Sebastian Bourdais joined in. Uh, Bozzi Todorevich is there, was there from his uh, Racing Spaces Twitter show. Uh, but more importantly, a, uh, a mechanic and crew member, the Vassar Sullivan. IMSA Lexus team. I'm just trying to think who else. There's lots of people, crazy amounts of people. Uh, I think when we were all said and done, uh, we had something like 900 people uh, take part, just listening in, some asking questions, uh, some of y'all 
uh, Ryan Terpstra, for example, one of the members of the Prude, one of the leaders there, Jeremiah Morell, uh, and on and on and on. So that was really cool. Uh, and I'm loving the format and we're just going to keep doing more. So to Justin's question, uh, not only do I think we're going to have this kind of sort of fixed Monday, uh, five Pacific eight Eastern, uh, we're definitely going to have more drivers, but also just more people. And it's not going to be limited to IndyCar, uh, but there's definitely going to be a, a heavy IndyCar slant. Uh, but it'll be IMSA, could be some Formula One. I think here Wednesday morning coming up, maybe by the time you're listening to this, going to do a uh, hashtag racing family show with my racer colleague, Chris Medland, our Formula One reporter, uh, who's been there for testing uh, recent testing. So going to talk to him about a lot of stuff there. And I just plan to reach out to a lot of people just like I do for the podcast, just do this live. So, uh, Wheeler's going to reach out to folks and, you know, we're going to just try and have fun with this. The big tool that the hashtag racing family, uh, show brings is spontaneity. And by that, I mean, all I need is my phone for what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting in my office, speaking into a very expensive microphone, into an expensive, this uh, plugged into an expensive board that goes to here. And it's real production, (laughs) uh, with the, uh, Twitter spaces show. It can be me sitting anywhere. We did Monday nights with me sitting on the couch. And it could be me sitting in the car. It could be wherever. And I just love that spontaneity, the portability of it. I could be at the track and have someone with me. And instead of them joining in with their Twitter profile on their phone, we'll just sit and use mine. Um, So, yeah. And so we're going to be able to do some fun stuff here. Also take some feedback and input on what to do. Uh, I know one of the shows that I want to do is to grab some photographer friends and let's talk about racing photography and how you do it and the best ways to do it and the ways to not do it. That might be some, honestly, that's something I've been wanting to do for the podcast, but I don't know. I like the idea of it being live and interactive. And for those who are photography enthusiasts, action, sports photography, maybe we get some of those killers on here. And they coach us up, and maybe I can contribute a few things too about what I know from my lifetime of shooting as well. So it's just that. Have some racing spotters on, have some mechanics, have some whomever, some legends, maybe some folks who run teams, run racing series. It's, boy, this to me just really does open up a whole new world of opportunity. So I love that. And Jack, the the last thing that I need to figure out here. Uh, Andy Merrick was kind enough to uh, point me towards one or two solutions today is get the capturing and recording going on. So with Twitter spaces, you can record the shows, which we have been doing. You can listen to them, play them back on Twitter. 30 days, I believe, is how long they will stay on Twitter server and then they go away. So I need to figure this thing out and it it won't be that hard, but uh, get the show's transferred uh, from there onto uh, the podcast feed. And then I think we will be golden. So thanks for uh, asking those questions and cracking open the show. We're going to get into St. Pete here in just 
one second. Want to mention, as I try and always do at the open of the show, that if you are a fan of motor racing, possibly a fan of this podcast as well, might want to send an email and join a ever growing group of pretty amazing racing fans. I've already mentioned some of their names. Those are members of the uh, Prue Day listener group. So if you want to join, and they have, uh, I think the the Twitter group is full, but I f- believe the uh, Discord gang is, is certainly open. They spend their days talking racing, talking about the show, maybe a guess that we had, whatever it might be, making fun of me, hopefully. Uh, but a lot of them are becoming very close friends, take care of one another, do cool things together, just have a lot of fun. And there's some real silly people there too. Uh, so if you want to join in, uh, send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com, prudayrocks at gmail.com. And one of the amazing men or women who are part of that group will get back to you within a couple of days and get you joined into the group. And off you go. You're a member of a, guess what, hashtag? Racing family. See how I worked that in? Look at that. I almost feel like vaguely professional. Uh, Ryan Terpstra says, MP, do you think Scott McLaughlin has unlocked the mental mindset? You might have to help me with that one, Terpstra. Uh, I didn't know that we needed a qualifier. Is there a physical mindset? Uh, Anyways, unlock the mental mindset he needs to be successful in qualifying all year. He did a hashtag me personally just... He did a hashtag me personally describing 2021 as solid on Sunday uh, and crap on Saturday. Uh, If he goes fast on Saturday, how worried should everyone else be? As I wrote uh, his times now, what he did last weekend, not only was it not a fluke, it was a huge statement maker could try and say all right it's the opening race of the year maybe he got lucky yeah you look at who's done big things at saint pete to open the year uh or in general if it might have fallen second race third race hell even end of the year Uh, folks who do well there tend not to just fade and disappear in the championship so uh, I think as Colton Herta told us, the person that's won St. Pete the last however many years has, uh, or the first race of the year has gone on to uh, win the championship. Not saying Scott's going to do that, but I'm saying his kind of performance, one where he was fast the whole time, fast when it mattered, uh, in practice and qualifying, and the race, tying everything together. That was the big difference for Scotty here in his sophomore season. So I'm honestly not so worried about what he has described as, well, boy, um, wasn't very good on Saturdays last year in qualifying. I think just the general progression he has made in having someone like Ben Bretzman as his race engineer, you put those two things together, and that is a different Scott McLaughlin that showed up. So no disrespect to his former race engineer, Jonathan Duguid. That guy is crazy good. Ben is also crazy good stylistically as race engineers. Very different people. 
I know I've gone into this a little bit uh, in recent shows, so I don't want to waste too much time here, but Jonathan is a very, by the numbers, classic race engineer. Ben, a little bit more like a lay down on the couch in my therapist's office, and let's, let's go one or two or three layers deeper and find out a little bit more about not just the car, but you and the car and what it's doing and how you feel that it's doing and etc. There's an extraction of deeper things that are less kind of binary, less kind of black and white, uh, as maybe, uh, the interactions with Jonathan would have been. And so you take Scotty, who is a very dynamic person, someone who is not a black and white person, someone who is very rich and colorful, a lot of emotion, great emotion, but just, right, he's a ball of energy and a ball of everything, a lot of color and light. And you pair him with someone like Ben, who has a lot of energy and light, but it is very rooted. It's very anchored and there's just a deeper connection there ultimately these are two people trying to solve an immensely complex puzzle and what does this car need what does this driver need how do i form that best technical bond between the operator and the tool and so someone like a ben bretzman working with a scott mclaughlin there's just going to be the ability to get more information it might not be big long sentences it could just be ben's ability to recognize a little body language a little smirk or glint in the eye a little something the way the edge of his lip curls up when he describes what the car is doing just the nuances And since we've been using these cars forever, we're down to finding the little tiniest nuances to make the difference between winning and not winning. So you take Scotty, who's made an amazing year-to-year leap in growth going back to tracks for the second time, St. Pete third for, uh, for him. You take Ben, like I said, is kind of a race engineer and therapist and all kind of guru and, and you name it. It's just a beautiful thing. So I think someone like Ben helps erase a lot of the concerns Scotty had about his Saturdays. And I think that I don't know if he's going to win more races this year, but I would now be shocked if he does not. I think we got something here that's significant And even if they don't win the championship, even if it's just a top five, it feels like, wow, we need to totally recalibrate our expectations for that number three team Penske Chevy. That makes me so happy. Uh, Let's go to Steve Bonek says with a Scotty Max meme worthy tumble after uh, the huge victory in the hashtag thirsty threes. So I was wondering if you could think of any other post-race celebrations gone wrong. So hope you had a great weekend covering the race and best to you, your wife and the cats. Thank you, Steve. Yes. Uh, I think it would have been 2013. Was it at Toronto? Um, one of my favorite photo sequences, which was sad of, uh, our French fry, Sebastian Bourdais 
finishing what was it uh, second i believe and being handed the glass it was some form of crystal bowl on a wood base but nobody told him that the wood base wasn't connected to the uh, big crystal bowl dish thing and so i just happened to catch a photo sequence of the him going to hold it up over his head and the crystal falling off and crashing onto the podium and breaking and dario trying to i'm not sure if he was trying to stop it with his foot or as it was falling and landing and rebounding off the podium and breaking if he was trying to uh kick a goal but yeah that might be my favorite one of and the just the look on sebastian's face i'll try and find that photo and post it again but the look on his face and some of the other people the dignitaries and sponsors and whatnot on the podium of watching this what we assume to be an expensive piece of crystal taking about a seven foot dive (laughs) and going (laughs) Ah, that wasn't good so seb because he's funny and being a good spirit uh when it came time to pose for photos all he had was this somewhat little wood base so he held that up uh over his head yeah it was kind of funny steve uh let's see let's go to at zach 23 uh, from Twitter, also known as What Good Are Notebooks. MP, great to see you back in your natural environment. Uh, even if you had to put up with a French fry shirt. Yeah, yeah, uh, I got to agree. Especially, yeah, that Hawaiian shirt Sunday night. That was pretty good. It says, in the race, Alex Plow chased and very nearly took Scotty down, but without using push to pass. How does he do that? Can't all be down to traffic. Well, he did have some help, right? Um, Alex in the blue Ganassi car, uh, and Scotty, uh, they came up on another blue Ganassi car in front of them. And he was not a lap down at the time and certainly did not, uh, exactly just move over Mr. Jimmy Johnson. So I don't know where that falls into bad behavior, uh, of trying to slow down, uh, the rival directly behind you. Who's about to lap you. Uh, so that your teammate who's running second might draw that gap down and pass them. I can tell you that when I've been in scenarios like that, when I have been working in IndyCar or other series, I get really angry, really, really angry. So I would have to imagine uh, that isn't something that others uh, say, I don't know, the guy who's leading loves. So uh, Alex was quick for sure. Alex was also having to save some fuel, so he wasn't exactly able to just uh, mash the throttle the whole time he was chasing. Um, Last couple laps, I believe they turned him loose. But yeah, uh, I mean, Alex is doing really good things. But keep in mind that if you remove that other blue Ganassi car, Jimmy Johnson, from the equation, I don't know if things end up being as close as they were. And finally... Here, I mentioned this on the uh, the hashtag racing family show Monday night uh, while talking with Scotty and Alex. Handling capabilities of Scotty's car definitely were something that Alex had no real answer for. So that's a, no matter how hard you are driving, the vehicle that Scotty's operating is carving through the corners better and faster there's nothing you can do about that so got close in the end here 
with Alex chasing Scott, but it became apparent to me with whatever three, four, whatever laps to go, there was no pass that was going to take place because wow, that number three Chevy was hooked up. Uh, why don't we go to Kyle Levine? How you doing, Kyle? Hey, Marshall. Awesome opening weekend. Uh, feel good winners across IndyCar and the road to Indy races. Thanks for mentioning that, by the way, Kyle. Uh, the road to Indy was phenomenal. Uh, what performances impressed you the most? This also, I saw several people ponder if uh, St. Pete is at Long Beach's level in terms of importance, prestige, etc. Goes on to close and say, hashtag me personally. Long Beach has a ton of history, but man, the St. Pete atmosphere seemed awesome, and it feels like it's catching Long Beach. What says you? Uh, and also says some really kind things here. Uh, wishing the best for the family and hoping my wife's recovery goes well. Interesting, interesting angle here, Kyle. So energy was the big, big thing that stood out at St. Pete. You could feel it with wide shoulders, right? I, I could be really 0% body fat, which I wish I was. I'd still have wide shoulders that don't necessarily navigate through crowds easily. And so it's a bit of a natural indicator for me, Kyle, as to whether how packed a place happens to be any track, wherever, because the more I'm having to turn sideways and the more my shoulders get knocked around, walking around, uh, that tells me that there's a lot of people here. And I can tell you, there are a lot of people at St. Pete. I don't know what the number was I'm trying to find out how many people uh, they had over the three day event. But I can tell you that having been to this race for a long, long, long time, I'm struggling to remember having as hard a time just walking around without bumping into people. And so that's my informal metric for lots of bodies, but the energy as well. That's the thing where it did feel like more than when I was there last in 2019 and however many years before that, it did feel like there was something special. And I mentioned that to come back to Long Beach. Long Beach always feels special because of the venue, where we are. St. Petersburg, I know that we are right there in the harbor, um, right there on the little peninsula, beautiful yachts and all kinds of stuff going on. It's not really a beach-ish environment, though, in terms of the track and sand. and Right, so Long Beach has that feeling of hey man we're in california and we're on the beach and it's kind of a big deal and whatever and there's tons of history to it i don't know if the same energy always jumps out to me though it it feels more like a cultural event to take in every year music is going on there's all kinds of food and all car shows and this and that i mean there's it's a happening it's a gathering that people go to every year and there is racing to your point about saint pete there's really nothing else going on it's strictly about the racing and i think that 
needs to be recognized as you rightly point out, Kyle, and I love this recognition of yours, that stature, I don't know if St. Pete's ever going to reach Long Beach. Okay. Uh, Long Beach just is kind of elevated to this status. It's iconic. It really and truly is iconic. But St. Pete, I think, is on a trend where we need to recognize that if we're talking about a street race and people who are turning out and wickedly passionate, and obviously we hope next year's crowds are even bigger and so on and so forth, yeah, this maybe this needs to be recalibrated because I've always enjoyed going. I've just never really placed it as anything that's truly, truly spectacular in and among the other races. That changed last weekend. And I really, truly hope that this continues and it does deserve and, and does really take hold as something that folks go, hey, uh, Long Beach is going to be really cool, and I need to go here and there and go to some of these places. But most of all, uh, i got to make sure I get to St. Pete because that's a big deal. Uh, let's see. Where do we go next? Uh, Jerry Suddeth, how you doing, pal? Says, uh, happy to see you were trackside for this one. St. Pete has a lot of cautions, typically, where teams and their uh, strategies burn by the relative lack of yellows absolutely without a doubt <sighs> yeah the the timing of uh, david malukas's mistake and venturing into the wall and moving the walls a little bit the timing of that just really as we mentioned in the hamburger and french fries show to uh, close the event on sunday the timing of the crash is what really hurt so yeah, I think there were expectations that more yellows would follow. And why don't I move into uh, why don't I move into Quiet Dude Thirty Eight from Reddit? Um, there were a number of folks asking about Alexander Rossi's strategy for the race. Uh, so Quiet Quietude Thirty Eight from Reddit asks, "How did Alexander Rossi end up with Brian Barnhart as his strategist?" question so where's rossi going to be next season because it's obviously not andretti um i mean here's the thing barnhart is good at strategery uh he truly is I'm not saying he's the best but i'm not saying he's bad um uh, there's some shuffling around of of who went where and uh who did what no in speaking with chief operating officer of andretti out of sport uh, rob edwards who's a, a good pal asked him about what happened there. And I think the broadcast uh, intimated or, or, or maybe covered some of this off, but I just wanted to get a, a stronger understanding or affirmation of that. Asked Rob, so I know you weren't on uh, Alexander's timing stand, but was that intentional to leave him out? Uh, he obviously shot to first place, but with Malukas's crash, uh, everybody pitted basically, um, or those, uh, strategery wise, um, who needed to get in, got in Alexander was left out. Was that a mistake? Was that, a folks keyed the microphone at the same time and therefore the message didn't get transmitted to pit. Was it, you know, was it human error, uh, by not calling him in 
was it human error by microphone? Uh, I'm sorry, radio mismanagement, whatever else. And he said, no, it was not. It was intentional. Uh, said we, we knew that with the 27 car based on what had happened, uh, in prior sessions that, uh, the Firestone alternates, the red band and tires were not our friends. And so we wanted to go as long as possible on the primaries. And so that's what they decided to do. They wanted to stretch that opening stint as long as they could on the primaries. And then whenever the next best opportunity came to pop in, get their, uh, their reds over and then final stop, get back to primaries again. So being on that two stopper, they just wanted to extend it as long as they could. So Malukas crashed on lap 25. It's a really long cleanup there. Off the top of my head, I think I saw that Rossi pitted on like lap 37, I think. 37, 39, whatever it was. I think it was 37. But had to do that under green. So I have to believe there was uh, you know, rightful expectation, like Jerry asked, about yellows that there was going to be something else that followed behind it. Um, the duration of that yellow and the getting the walls kind of back lined up in order, uh, aligned after the crash, certainly I think took longer than a lot of folks expected. So if you take the timing of the crash, the amount of time it took to get the race back and going again, uh, I think, I think there was definitely a surprise at how that played out. The team certainly could have bailed and gone to a, a three-stop strategy. Um, but nonetheless, what we ended up ha- having was a team that decided to stay out, got the lead. They kind of sort of needed to, uh, make something special happen <clears throat> with Alexander starting a little bit farther back than desired, but this to me was just a, 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 I think as Alex described it, a high risk strategy. Uh, and, or did he say a highly aggressive strategy? One of those two things. And yes, uh, that is certainly what it was. Had there been another caution, which I think would have been reasonable to expect, especially on the restart, um, Alex is potentially saved, uh, gets in, gets off. Uh, of the primaries jumps onto the alternates doesn't lose a ton of track space comes back and hopefully then makes everything work out instead pits under green uh, while everyone else has you know enough fuel to keep going for a while no yellows that follow and his fate was sealed Uh, back finished p20 and despite having the potential for a good finish not talking about a winning finish not necessarily talking about a podium finish but just a solid finish to kick off the year, which is what he needed. Alexander goes into Texas, P20 in the standings. Um, Ben Cohen, I missed this, and I I need to try and find it on uh, Peacock. Hopefully they have it. Uh, I forget what it was at the end of qualifying. I did not think I was already down on pit lane and was having issues hearing the broadcast with my little earbuds but uh you ask oh you, you okay man you're kind of you said thanks for incredible coverage at saint pete hope you had an amazing time i did 
Uh, can you help us dig into Joseph Newgarden's comments regarding some, quote, internal issues that he wouldn't dive into? Is there some frustration regarding the changes to his team in the offseason? Uh, then you say some nice things about my wife and hoping about her uh, or hoping that all goes well with her recovery. So thank you, Ben. So many of you are so kind, really, truly so kind to uh, just send lots of love every episode. I don't know what he was referring to. Um, Joseph, among the drivers, is someone who is very intentional about what he says and very controlling about what he says. So could I get a feel for this privately from Joseph? Probably. Um, I can only assume this, and none of this is meant to be a dig uh, it's just meant to describe what often is reality. Uh, he went into the season with a brand new race engineer. Uh, that decision came a little later, I think, than uh, was optimal. It wasn't his decision or the team's decision. His championship winning race engineer, Gavin Ward, decided to leave. And with the highly restrictive testing rules that IndyCar has, it's not like Joseph got tons of time, tons of track mileage to build a rapport with his new race engineer. As it looked like to me, 100% my own observation, not saying I have any insights or confirmation of this, just saying, looking from the outside, St. Pete had the, the feel of a people getting to work together for the first time and figure out how to do things together. Uh, race weekend, knowing that his race engineer has never engineered an Indy car before. It's a significant thing to know. Obviously his engineer, Eric Leichtel has engineered Joseph in a testing environment leading into the season. St. Pete was his first race as an Indy car race engineer. If you were to assemble his racing record, despite all the things that he's done in the past, if we start his resume, he has a single entry, one race, St. Petersburg Grand Prix, to put on his resume as an IndyCar race engineer. So if you look at the possibility and trend going forward, this should be pretty darn impressive because he's going to be learning a ton, he and Joseph are going to be getting closer and figuring each other out and figuring out what they need. But this had the 100% classic telltale signs of, hey, huge learning curve. This is the, the odd thing about our sport compared to almost every other sport. Some of you know, love. No, I've been a, a lifelong lover of the NBA. It's shoes, a basketball, and hands. <laughs> Those are the main things. If your shoes have decent grip and they stay on your feet, that's awesome. The basketball, it's not something the individuals playing the game tune or tweak. It's the same ball. They got a couple that they use, but it's the same ball inflated to the same amount uh, of air pressure. And the ball itself is almost immaterial to how the game is played. They bounce it, they pass it, they shoot it, they dunk it. It's an instrument, 
but there's no tuning of it to the specific needs of the player. Uh, Knowing football, maybe uh, Tom Brady and uh, his people, the Patriots might have did a bit of adjusting, but baseball, baseball bats certainly individualized, but there's no secondary person helping these players to interact with that tool to make the tool perform at its peak racing we've got this bizarre thing where you can put drivers into all 26 cars at st petersburg tell all their race engineers to go away lock them in a room take their headsets take their phones they go watch but they can't communicate can't do anything with their drivers and tell those drivers to go run the race with no adjustments made to the car whatsoever no tire pressure no wing no recommendations on moving the anti-roll bars at the front or rear of the car softer or harder uh, any of the adjustments on the steering wheel in terms of throttle response and this and that right just leave it to the drivers themselves and i'm actually loving this idea for one race a year um you would find that many 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 of the drivers really and truly struggled and we would not have a race that is anything like what we saw on sunday which admittedly was a little bit of a snoozer um these are not people who are trained to tune their cars some could simon pagino jumps out of someone who would be making some excellent calls colton herta i think would make some excellent calls we can rundown you know definitely some more would know exactly what to do joseph crazy smart uh and would know how to do a lot of things but nonetheless without the race engineers who know these vehicles like they are their children being the intermediary saying make this adjustment to the car here you're at this place in the fuel stint you need to adjust that there hey the next pit stop we're going to go up on pressure here or down there wing up or down blah 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 you do not have the the true master of the instrument tuning it for the driver and in joseph's case i could see how eric who is just said to be awesome and insanely smart in so many things you could see where he's just learning how to become that master tuner of the vehicle that his driver needs and so while learning you would not expect them to be as effective as say joseph and his former race engineer of many years who was at the high engineering level beforehand in gavin ward so that's the best that i can make of it ben uh if we're talking about any other quote internal issues i don't know but I just know that the weekend that I saw for Joseph stood out as a going to be learning for a while. I wrote that in my season preview of his whole journey is he and his engineer coming together and being uh, as strong a package as they can as early in the year, but no expectations for things to kick off at St. Pete uh, with them on pole position and kicking all kinds of butt. Uh, let me take a quick sip here. Uh, we're going to go to Mark Pesky, by the way. And if I murdered your last name, I apologize, Mark. Uh, let's see. Is it too early to raise the alarm at McLaren? Good people, loads of resources, but appears the same setup issues plaguing them 
uh, when does Pato Ward get the car he uh, doesn't have to overdrive to perform well? Yeah, I think they just missed it as a whole. Um, the Pato side was a bit of a surprise. He did have some speed at some points of the weekend. He did charge Ford in the race uh, on lap one uh, as expected, but they were not particularly sharp, nor were Ganassi, nor were Coin, nor were a lot of teams uh, that I thought were going to be more competitive than they were. Uh, Rosenqvist was the real surprise that they were just not, not particularly close, sadly. Uh, and then in the race, he was actually pretty happy. I saw him afterwards. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think he where was it at uh, Bourdais' party? I don't know. Uh, my brain, again, struggling a little bit. But they really did feel like they had a darn good car. Just uh, they were part of the uh, wrong strategy group where things did not play out, and uh, they all cursed David Malukas's name. So... <sighs> They're also undergoing some engineering changes. The uh, great Craig Hampson is now working with Felix. Gavin Ward is is there uh, as the overarching technical director. Um, Timing-wise, though, we haven't really seen Gavin's influence yet. So I was thinking and hoping, just from a competitive standpoint, Mark, that they would, at minimum, carry on from where they were last year. Now, that might have happened. That might have been exactly what we saw, that they continued from where they were at being a front-running team in 2021. They may have carried that directly into 2022. Maybe the issue here is all the other teams that they were running amongst have made bigger steps and therefore four were more competitive this year. So did they miss in some areas or an area that set them back? Uh, or did those that they were fighting against last year towards the sharp end of the field, did they make bigger gains therefore opening up a gap? I don't know. I, I genuinely <laughs> in the 36, 48 hours since the race, whatever it is, I just truly really haven't had the chance to dive into that to try and figure out, but uh, I hope to not only find more, but knowing how sharp they were at Texas last year, going into round two here, uh, I feel like St. Petersburg might end up being a little bit of a, a not a false alarm, because when you aren't as fast as you should be, especially to open the year, that does warrant an alarm. But I think when we get to Texas, uh, I think this is not going to be so much of an issue. I think St. Petersburg is just going to be more of a, eh, wasn't great, but we'll uh, cast that one aside and keep it rolling. Uh, Dave Heisen, say back to F1 form, the never apologetic Romain Groschamp sometimes walks on water, sometimes presents us with a cannonball. I thought a, quote, sorry, uh, I had my head clean up my blank was in order. Uh, referring to the uh, the incident where he uh, yeah stoved into the back of Takuma Sato's car. I'm with you, Dave. Um, I'll go back to what I wrote in my season previewing, although I hate season preview content about each driver, what each driver needed 
And with Roma, it was exactly what we're referring to consistency. Um, IndyCar's most popular driver by a wide margin. That's who he is. And so much of it is because of what he experienced to close his Formula One career, that terrible fire. Uh, just right. He is the person that everyone's rooting for. And I love that for him. For those who've been Formula One fans for longer than that, uh, going back for maybe the entirety of his career, the consistency note that I made in what he needs for the season is really driven by all of that. And that is the man when, when Roma is on, holy cow, that guy is a rocket and tough to beat. And when he is slightly off, you get these mistakes that are hard to understand. It's a very Jekyll and Hyde thing. And so what we had that, as I saw it on Saturday, free practice to Saturday morning, the final session before qualifying, where everyone's doing their qualifying simulation runs, everyone's backing up, trying to get a clean run. Uh, he came upon the scene and what was it, turn 10, and found a bunch of cars stacked up uh, at a crawl and fired into the back of Takuma's car, uh, jacked up the back of uh, Taku's Dale Coin Racing Hot Rod, busted up the front of uh, his own Andretti Autosport car, smashed the hashtag front wing, bent the left front steering arm. I, I happened to be one pit box away as he was pulling in, so I walked over and saw all of that. He climbed out of the car very angry. Uh, the team was angry. Michael Andretti, I asked Michael, you know, um, looked like that was just, you know, things getting packed up because all I had was a little tiny um, monitor to look at uh, on the Andretti team's uh, timing stand. And he said, you know, yeah, you know, things got packed up, jammed up. And so when I got a chance to see the full replay of that in something a little bit bigger and more demonstrative, I got to admit, uh, I don't see how any blame is put towards Takuma or any of the other drivers there. Now, the scenario of having three or four or five or however many cars it was packed up doing three miles an hour in turn 10, I don't think that's great. But that to me is not the actual issue here. Uh, I don't know. I was speaking with a, a couple of Indy 500 winning and championship winning IndyCar drivers about this at Sebastian's party. Uh, we were all talking about this. And I don't know if he was looking down at something on his dash at a setting or some sort of reading. Uh, I don't know if he was making an anti-roll bar adjustment or brake by. Again, I don't know. But it sure looked to me like he was not eyes up coming out of turn nine. Uh, or let me rephrase that. He would have needed to be eyes up through turn nine, but once coming through that kink, it just makes me wonder if he was eyes down looking at something in the cockpit and then looked up and was surprised that he had a whole gaggle of cars right in front of him and he had to slam on the brakes, but recognized that too late. As Townsend Bell mentioned on one of the broadcasts, if you look at the distance between where Romain was where this pack of, of slow cars were and when he recognized he needed to brake, there was a long distance. Like there was a long, long distance between 
recognition and where those cars were. He was right up on them when he realized it. There's something between where he recognized it and going back many, 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 many car lengths where if he was truly eyes up, he would have seen, hey, everybody's kind of sort of stopped and would have had more than enough time to slow down and not hit anybody. Just mention all this because these are the things that broadcaster driver analyst is seeing. This is something where, again, championship winning Indy 500 winning drivers are seeing. The guy who was involved in it, blameless. Uh, Takuma this, Takuma that, and blaming everybody but himself. That bummed me out. It really did. Because here you are a member of this community now for a second year. You're being held up and elevated as one of or the most popular driver. Uh, from everything I know, the vast majority of the drivers really like the guy and really appreciate him being here and want him to succeed. Not at their expense, but right, just good vibes, happy vibes. And so with all that being said, to kind of go the dickish Erickson hit me kind of route, um, it, it made me sad because here's an opportunity where, come on, man, that wasn't Takuma Sato's fault. <laughs> there, look, how many times have I been the one saying the opposite? It's 100% Takuma's fault. What the heck is he thinking? Full blame. Good Lord, man. Right? I've Whomever it is, I don't care. I'm going to tell you what I think, whether it's positive or negative. And this was not a Takuma Sato thing. This was a Romain Groshaw thing. And it did bum me out to see him take no blame, uh, not raise his hand, and even say it was a 50-50 deal. Even that, I think, would have been a little rich, but at least it would have been a touch of taking ownership. Instead, nope. Uh, put the little halo of divinity over my head because something bad was done to me. I just thought it was nonsense. So anyways, uh, just circling back to close here, that crash then set back the rest of his weekend. This guy opened free practice one fastest. That was a nice little, no shock, but him being by a super fractional amount faster than Colton Herta and free practice one. Wow. Huh? Hey, it's on at my new team kid. Uh, I thought that was great. Holy cow. Free practice two, less than halfway through. I believe it was and consistency, uh, unforced error. You subtract that and he completes the session and he gets a great read on Firestone's reds the alternate tires that he'd be using in qualifying and his race engineer is the amazing Olivier Boisson has all the information that he needs to tune the car for qualifying. And I certainly think Roma has a better day in qualifying and then has a better race on Sunday. Uh, instead losing that track time because of that mistake, set the ball rolling in a not great direction and I think he went from being a podium guy to what fifth, but a remote fifth and not really in the mix whatsoever uh, for victory all day long. 
and ends up finishing directly behind Colton. So fifth for him, great start for the season, obviously. But that mistake in free practice two, I think torpedoed any chance of that being a podium or possibly even a win. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah uh, as my stupid Microsoft Word is not being very nice and moving for me at my request so I can go down the page here and everything put together by our dear friend Jim Kaiser. Uh, you're saying, hey, MP, uh, wish you and your wife good health. Thank you. So how would you sum up Kyle Kirkwood's weekend? Uh, how amazing, uh, that amazing sight of the large crowd in St. Pete. Yeah, it just a just a buzz, right? You just felt like you are at a place that was happening and important and yeah more indycar please more 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 of that i think kyle had a great weekend i think his stock was solidified at saint pete you might say well wait a minute the guy finished 18th what are you talking about pruitt he started 12th part of the aforementioned uh david malukas hating club uh strategery certainly bit them in terms of the final result but the conversation that I heard from I don't know how many drivers, uh, even some team owners, and I won't get into who those were, but uh, that kid, at least after one weekend, confirmed to everybody that he is who they thought he might be, and that is badass. So I'll probably do a little story about it here soon, I hope, uh, just going a little deeper into the main free agents. Uh, for 2023, I do not know Kyle's status. I genuinely don't. I need to find out. Well, hopefully I can find out if he's on a one-year or two-year, one with an option. Is that option his option or the team's option? If that guy is at all available, if it's possible for someone to get a hold of him, I think he shoots to the top of the free agent list uh, ahead of Rossi, unless Alexander starts winning races and doing Rossi-like things. So, uh, altogether, the kid was unfazed, poised, dissatisfied, which is important. You don't want him going, hey, we finished 18th. Um, yeah, that, that kid, seriously. How's this? I didn't put this in print. Probably should have. But spoke with uh, team manager Scott Harner. At Foyt and Scott went to Foyt three years ago, maybe three, three, four years ago. Uh, before that, he was with Chip Ganassi Racing forever and was uh, manager of, I believe it was Dixon's entry, um, but was assigned and attached to Dixon's entry forever. And without trying to overhype Kyle on two different occasions during the weekend. Scott said that young Kyle reminded him of a young Scott Dixon. Stupid fast. Totally oblivious to pressure. Oblivious to so many things that would derail a rookie or young driver. Just locked in and delivering at the highest level at such a young age. Uh, I mean, again, he said twice, Kyle reminds me of a young Scott Dixon. <sighs> what? How often do you hear that? You don't. So 
and knowing how long that Scott Harner's been around and the greatness he's been around and the championships and Indy 500 wins and all the things that are part of his legacy in the sport, for him to say that, knowing the weight and gravity that sits behind it, oh boy, that uh, that was pretty impressive. Uh, Daniel Summerskill, how you doing, Daniel? Appreciate you. Uh, he says, how impressed were you with the performances of Dalton Kellett and Callum Eilat at St. Pete? said Kellett seemed to be on for a good result before gearbox gremlin struck and was solid all weekend says it bodes well for a positive season for both drivers yeah i thought let's go reverse order i thought callum did a really really good job uh and he was a part of the aforementioned <laughs> david malukas haters club uh who got yeah strategy was not their friend and therefore, uh, their result was not what they wanted. But I think he put in a great effort. I know there are some folks who are jumping up and down saying, why, why is the broadcast covering Ilot? He's up to second. Uh, that was pit stop exchanges and such. Uh, moving the car forward compared to him truly barging through the field and being in P2. But I thought it was a really good, let's build a foundation type weekend for them. It's going to get better. They're going to do better. Uh, he's about to do his, his rookie tests, oval tests here at Texas on Wednesday. And I look forward to seeing how that goes for him when we get to the Texas race here in a couple weeks' time. But I do think there's a potential for them being Carlin-esque in spoiling things and being a bit of a thorn in the side of some teams where they should not be getting beat, but they are. I'm not talking about they're going to be up front knocking off uh, Groschon and power and Polo, but I do think they have the ability to rise higher than folks would expect. Um, budget wise, I really do hope they're able to add a second car for next year and have it be a high quality driver. Cause I think once they can go to two cars, once we can, that's when we can start saying, okay, real reasons to start to fear who goes hauling or racing. Dalton, yeah, he had his best day in IndyCar on Saturday, and I was so happy for him. Like, really so happy for him. The guy tries incredibly hard, takes this so seriously. He comes, he has, his family is wealthy. They have success in business. It allows their son to compete in IndyCar. And we can say this about many folks throughout the years. That doesn't mean the person's bad or doesn't belong there, any of that stuff. Um, if you think of Tatiana Calderon, his teammate, it's not family money. It's a sponsor that has put her there. But again, they are there because folks have said, we're going to put money behind you to be in the series. That doesn't mean the person doesn't have potential or capabilities. Dalton having worked at it and worked at it and worked at it. Um, I just loved everything that he was able to achieve, qualifying, what, P14, right? A couple spots behind Kirkwood, who's the reigning lights champ, and we think is going to be another award, Herta New Garden type, Polo type. Um, that just made me so happy. Very sad that the race did not go well for him, that he could not build on that. What I'm looking forward to more than anything here, Daniel, is Long Beach. I don't know what the Foyt cars are going to be like at Texas. More vehicle than driver 
uh, quite often in terms of potential on the big speedways like that. But Long Beach is where I hope we see him do something similar. And if St. Pete's a guide, certainly will. So got to see Dalton. Uh, had him on the the hashtag racing family show uh, Saturday night. And uh, it was great having him there. And then got to see him Sunday night at Seb's uh, party. And yeah, I'm always going to root for Dalton Kellett. And I don't care about any of the folks who like to crap on him or whatever else, say critical stuff. Uh, that guy to me is pure gold because he is one of us. He is fortunate to have means to do what he does, but he to me represents the every man, every woman who has talent, but has to work at it and every single day try and find tiny improvements to belong in the field, which he does, and be a good, good member of that racing community uh, compared to some who are so overly blessed with natural talent that it's not like they don't work at it, but if they didn't put in that extra time, they'd still be blindingly fast on pole and winning races. So uh, Dalton, I just respect immensely because he's one of us who's gone so incredibly far. He's young enough to where he has much, much farther to go, and I can't wait to see where he ends up. Uh, why don't we go to John Wojnar, a.k.a. John Ranjal, one of the uh, key members of the Prude group. It's MP, great race. Good to see fellow Prudeer Alex Pillow have a good run, and to see uh, Tati Calderon uh, have a strong showing as well. Says, I'm seeing a lot of negativity towards Calderon on social media, however, did she do anything wrong or is it just salty boys being extremely salty? I don't know of anything wrong that she did. Uh, I think it's just the by and large men, uh, liking to crap on women in motor racing to begin with. Like that's just a continually sad thing. Um, like really sad. Uh, I, I hate hate that energy i really do uh, and I'm, i've seen it a ton throughout my career in the sport and i always want to knuckle up because it just it has no place in the world um but anyways there yes there are some men who generate their self-worth and value and feel important and strong and masculine by trying to take down women in the sport in general uh, and especially women like uh, young Miss Calderon, who is just about the nicest person you would ever meet uh, because she was not fast at any point in time during the weekend, which if anybody read anything that I wrote leading into this new season from the moment she was announced, this is every single thing that should have been expected. So I don't assume the salty boys saying all kinds of nonsense about um, about her would have read anything I've written, much less know I exist or care. But I can tell you that if you care enough about the sport you are commenting on and criticizing folks over, if you'd paid the least bit of attention, you'd know that she performed exactly as she should have in round one. And she will perform exactly how she should 
uh, when she comes back at Long Beach. And this is going to be an ongoing thing because she has so much to learn and has not had enough development time in this car, in this series, in this anything. There's nobody like her in this series this year. Uh, It's remarkable how much she has to master compared to every other driver. And so with that said, she gets, for me at least, a pass, complete pass, until we get towards the end of the season where you go, okay, uh, maybe you don't know Laguna Seca like the back of your hand, but you've done a number of natural terrain road courses, some high grip, some low grip. Uh, you should have a pretty good feel for what is going on here. Hey, Portland, it's not the most complex track on the calendar. You should be able to go well here. That's the end of the year. Uh, everything up till that point, anybody placing expectations on her to be competitive, um, you have no idea what you're bitching about and what you're criticizing her about because it's just not warranted. Uh, let's see. What do we go to Anders Egeland Anders it's MP. Did Marcus Eric's get his penalty for an unsafe release for hitting another car in pit lane or for crossing the white line further down, uh, the pit or all the above the penalty moved to the back of the grid seemed a bit harsh since none of the above were to blame on just one driver. Should there be a less hard penalty to give to drivers when needed? If so, what could it be? says by the way not a fan of the five second time penalties added on like they do in formula one i don't know if i saw anything there anders that jumped out as penalizable it's not a word by the way but i make them up every now and then i did not see marcus do something that warranted the penalty he received what i saw was indycar recognizing the need to send a message that this type of pit lane clash will not be accepted. So haven't spoken with race director, Kyle Novak. I don't know if he'd tell me the reasoning behind it. And I'm not talking about rule and, you know, this happens, therefore it equates to this. I'm not talking about kind of matrix of penalties and how they've predetermined what acts, this action will net this penalty. Not talking about that saying this looked to me like a message sending penalty hey be more careful Uh, i know y'all are racing and competitive and if you can leapfrog someone in pit lane that might be the difference between a good result and a bad result uh don't do that so yeah i mean i like marcus love the team love i love everybody for the most part in the in on the grid but yeah that one stood out as, as less of a individual penalty and more of one for all other teams to recognize, including his own, to not let that happen again. Uh, Paul Davis, Marshall, says, in my best Toowoombian accent, uh, what are we doing out there? Uh, okay, says, uh, I'm behind a seven-time NASCAR champion, and he's raced me for a podium a lap down. Why are you trying to get me to do a bad 
Kiwi accent. Uh, where's the blue flag? Crikey. Come on. Crikey. Really? What are, what are, are we doing? Are we 2005 and Steve Irwin? Come on now. Um, you're asking why didn't race control display a move over flag to Jimmy Johnson? Uh, I believe the, the adjustment was unless you were a lap down, you were not going to get uh, blue flagged. Uh, if you could try and maintain your speed and not get lapped, I think that's why. Um, I don't fully know here, Paul. Uh, outside of whatever rules that are specifically written for such scenarios, I always look at that kind of deal and go, okay, could you alter the race's outcome by being the, the person at the end of the lap who's about to get lapped by someone who's not just leading the race, but especially the stage race we were in, uh, could this affect the outcome by not throwing a blue flag saying, hey, buddy, we love you, but there aren't that many laps left and you need to get out of the way so this can play out naturally instead of whomever it is, whether it's Jimmy Johnson or anyone else. Um, that's just where my mind goes. We've gotten this far. We're almost at the end. Uh do we want this wild card to be the thing that settles the race? Uh, or do we want the race to play out the way it should? Um, I don't know. Thought that there should have been, uh, should have been something uh, done there to, uh, to clear Jimmy out of the way. Robbie Bergren, Marshall prayers to you and your wife and yourself and give the kitty cats a belly rub. He says, do you know why the cooling scoop on top of the windscreens weren't used? The driver community decided that it doesn't do enough or the cool suits make it unnecessary. I think it was, I think there's some sort of ambient temperature trigger that goes with that, Robbie, where, um, whether it's that serious saying you must, uh, or uh, who knows if I missed that this requirement was taken out, then I apologize. But ambient wasn't crazy on Sunday. It was just, or all weekend, it was more of the humidity. And yeah, I do know that, uh, I did a little video uh, hashtag MP show me what's up with me and all the hashtags all of a sudden. I don't know. Um, a little embarrassing for a grown man. I just realized that, um, cool suits were employed by some, but not all. And so, yeah, I think that, uh, if anything would have been something that teams or drivers who felt they needed it, uh, certainly would have used it. And I believe in just about every instance, uh, I believe every team has, uh, them now if there are any that don't i'll try and find out but yeah i i don't think the series really needed to intervene with the scoops because it just ambient wise wasn't that insane but they also did have the uh, cool cool shirt uh, most teams did have that at their disposal take another sip here uh michael hipskin how you doing michael mp i attended my first grand prix this weekend and was impressed by the crowd size also nice to see i don't know why my voice is breaking i'm going through puberty y'all huh it's nice to see that there were plenty of people of color women children present so this is with the tv ratings also looking good how do you think the series can capitalize on the new attention and then you close by saying something i stop at your embarrassing me he says thanks for all you do and uh for the new hashtag racing family show makes us fans feel part of the indycar family more than anything else out there much love to you and your family thanks man that truly that's really sweet notice the same thing brother 
And yes, uh, that is just my happy place where I can walk around in the paddock or pit lane or whatever and just see all of humanity represented instead of one kind of humanity. And as I've shared before on the show, that's what I grew up with, uh, with all kinds of people from all kinds of places, men, women, every color imaginable, languages originating from everywhere imaginable, and that variety being the norm. I don't ever expect motor racing to be a perfect model of that, but it does just make me happy where I look around and go, that's awesome. My ears are picking up different uh, native language being spoken here or there. And here's a family of this origination. and Here's a family of that origination. And there's kids, there's grown-up kids, there's all kinds of stuff. And it was awesome. I just hope that we can continue to see this trend continue. It tells me that IndyCar is certainly being seen as something that is welcoming and open. I wouldn't say that applies to every single stop on the calendar we will go, but I do know that at least what we saw here and what we will see at many other events, I think we're going to just see this greater variety of community coming together and yeah that's just another thing that makes me smile thanks for sending this michael and uh, hopefully we'll get uh more from you in the future uh on the show uh where are we at recording time wise here all right we're getting close to a ramping down um let's see where should we go uh pal nathan at indy nathan Great to see Miles Rowe bounce back and win. Do you know what his status is for Barber? Um, expect to see him at Barber. Uh, I probably should have read this earlier in the show when more folks would still be sticking around. Miles Road to Indy seat is something that now might not last beyond early May unless more money is found. So I haven't determined how I'm going to do it. I don't know if a story is it because, but nonetheless, just need to convey this uh, so that more people hear it, that if you are a fan of Miles Rowe and want to see a young kid who clearly has talent, has now won two USF 2000 races, um, want to see his journey continue on the road to Indy, in the absence of a major sponsor stepping up out of nowhere, we collectively will need to uh, step in and try and make sure that his season does not come to an end uh, barely after it started. Uh, you say, also sticking with the road to Indy, do you know what happened to exclusive Autosports Indy Lights plans? Do you expect to see them in lights at all the season? Uh, my pal, Jaron Demendal, tells me it would be inaccurate to expect to see them back. I don't know what happened. Uh, I haven't caught up with uh, exclusive team owner, company owner, uh, Michael Duncalf. I do know that this is the second year in a row where they've said, or season, I should say, I believe, where they said they're doing Indy Lights 
and haven't. Um, yeah, I'd like to catch up with Michael here sometime soon because what I have seen from them is stability. And they're still involved, obviously. They're still involved in the road to Indy, obviously. But when you say you're doing something once and don't do it, okay, that happens. When you'd say you're going to do something twice and it doesn't happen, it makes me wonder what is going on. And if it's just drivers, again, saying they had budgets and either lying or that money disappearing before it could be paid, I don't know. But it's not often where you see a team say they're doing something twice and don't. So, uh, I don't know. Uh, Luis Calderon, you say, Marshall Pruitt. Hope and your wife are fine. So, I totally enjoyed IndyCar again on the TV broadcast here in Colombia after three long and unhappy years. That was the best so far. My uh, comment is about the brand new rule of no pushing the cars after pit stop service. So, I think that will make competition even harder. The amount of aggressive drivers and rookies in the field closes by saying a salute from Colombia. I agree with you. For sure. And thanks for sending this in, uh, Luis. Mentioned in the uh, IndyCar rule changes story that I did for Racer that uh, mentioned this no pushing uh, rule and uh, got a little bit additional clarity on where that came from. So at Laguna Seca, I apologize that I'm forgetting the exact teams involved, but I think one of them, the affected team, was it Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan or one of the crew members? Uh, basically got punched in the face by a wheel gun, I think, that got shot up. Um, Whatever the exact exchange there was, it was a case of pit equipment being left out, car rocketing off of pit lane, hitting that equipment, firing it up in the air, and clocking uh, one of the crew members who needed uh, medical assistance after that. And so uh, this was IndyCar saying, okay, we're going to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. So A, you've got to clear all your stuff off pit lane and B, no more pushing, no more having extra people out on the lane after you're done servicing the car and being at risk of getting hit. Um, I, I Lemur, Mike Jablo and Mike Heisen, uh, you're going to take us to the end here almost. Uh, I think we might have one or two more to grab after that, but we are uh, just about at the old finish line here on the show. Uh, I, I Lemur from Reddit says, um, someone had a long Twitter thread that said IndyCar fans should expect lots of new data and graphics on the broadcast. There was nothing new in Peacock come race day. Was that all nonsense? Or was that some sort of change of plans? I have no idea. I know that the only thing that I saw that was quote new was the NTT data sponsored or analytics, uh, pit stop strategy call saying, uh, and that might've I don't remember that. I think that was pre-race, maybe, um, saying that the, what was it, two-stop had a 99% chance of being the winning strategy and three-stop being a one. Um, I might have that backwards. I'll have to look at the image. Um, I mean, it's what I've been calling for for a long time, right? It's something I've been railing about for a long time not saying any changes would have been as a result of me railing on this, but I know that, uh, as I have said, and as I've written F one's been kicking our ass for a long time with broadcast graphics that bring the viewer into the race, educate them at all times, 
tons of information being thrown at you, you really feel like, wow, I know exactly what's happening and I can predict or be on top of changes that might be coming. We had nothing. So I couldn't tell you why. I can just tell you that it wasn't there. Um, there you go. Mike Jablo, MP, do you know why there was no post-ratio on Peacock? Uh, would have been nice to hear from Polo and Power and the other top 10 finishers. Well, it's great to have most of the races NBC. We really need a post-ratio on Peacock. I don't because within, I think, the end of the broadcast itself, I had hit submit on my uh, race report and started headed towards pit lane to do our little hamburger and french fry show so i wasn't there to see if it switched over to anything else but it sure did seem like they dove out of things quickly and i realize we're on network compared to cable cable often you can maybe stretch the boundaries a little bit not really something that network is going to do good question if i remember mike time permitting i'll reach out and ask because yeah this is just something where if you're underserving an audience that expects this on the open wheel series that is really encroaching upon being the most popular in north america that being f1 if folks are watching that you want them to come here and follow romain groschamp you want f1 fans to become indycar fans in the f1 presentation product of analysis before during and after and telestrators and teleprompters and screens and just all that stuff if you go from being oversaturated with information and analysis before during and after the race and then you turn on an indycar race and you go oh look pretty cars going around and there's not a whole lot else being offered stylistically effort wise presentationally you name it i could see formula one fans going yeah love romain cheering for him the whole way but product wise this is for the birds compared to what they get from f1 so uh, again i apologize for uh going back on something i've said many times in recent months if not years if you do nothing more than just copy as much of f1's approach as possible i think you're actually doing yourself a, a serious service uh, that's going to make more people happy uh, let's see where do we go here dave heiss is not a question more of a hooray for the peacock one-stop shopping so every minute it was great broadcast team was great townsend was on point and rookie hinchcliffe was really good uh, at five bucks it's all i could ask for in fact all my boxes got checked minimal yellows great crowd and cream rose to the top uh my money's on ray hall at texas Ooh, i love that call dave uh Lori carter how you doing she says i really loved having the hamburger and french fry show back i think adding colton herta's taco is a great idea looking forward to more videos this year since you're going to more races indeed i'm not sure whether colton is going to be debuting at texas or if the other guest who we didn't get a chance to introduce on camera last weekend my other alternate co-host pato ward is going to be that one i'm thinking maybe pato since uh texas is where he's lived for a lot of his life uh, in and around san antonio so maybe we'll do that and then maybe long beach was which, which is colton's home race maybe that'd be the natural fit for him 
or it might be the other way around. Colt might say, dude, home race. I'm going to be hammered for time. Maybe we do Texas and, uh, maybe Pato will say the same thing. Texas might be nuts time-wise. Uh, maybe we try and do long beach. Uh, where do we go? Drag racing through life from Twitter. Says, hope you had a great time this weekend. When is the last time you remember the field being so stacked that anyone can win, no matter who they drive for, like the season seems? Yeah, this is pretty darn good. Uh, I wouldn't go as far to say every team, but it does feel like just about every single driver could have at least one magical event if if things fall their way. Not every single driver, but a lot. Uh, Let's see, where do we go here? Uh, two to go. Going to start off with David Cubine. How you doing, David? MP, Michael Andretti was my favorite driver during his career. Received lots of enjoyment from his wins. Excellent displays of driving skill. Uh, but Michael was not always the best interview. He was often reticent, even a bit whiny at times. Michael has now become one of the top owners and business people in the sport. You don't get that far by being uncommunicative and not relating to people especially in a sponsor-driven sport. My question is, since you do speak to him on and off the record, is he just a different guy one-on-one or off-camera? Any other insights into how he succeeds on a more personal level with people? It's a great question, David. Uh, Opening thing I'll mention, this is not meant to take anything away with Michael. This is actually just smarts. Uh, He has had a really deep and skilled team of people around him on the business side, on the team side, often same thing. Folks who help run the team help run the business as well. Um, To my knowledge, Michael does not and has not had to be the central, if not only person in the middle of all things. He's got a phenomenal group of, of generals and sergeants and you name it who help make everything possible, but he obviously uh, needs to be, you know, heavily involved too. So, but he is someone who's very smart in surrounding himself with a lot of talent and that's helped him to get to where he is right now. Um, Totally agree with Michael. Uh, There was a, a point, I'm struggling to remember exactly when, but there was a pretty open opinion in the paddock that Michael, as a team owner, Andretti Green Racing, um, was there, was air quote invested in the whole thing and being a, a racing team owner instead of a driver, but eh, not necessarily all the way. When he decided to turn AGR into AA, uh, bought out Kim Green, and made it Andretti Autosport, something that he wholly owned. There was a change, a noticeable change in Michael, going from the, well, you know, I need something to do after driving, so I guess team owning is it, to, you know, if I really dig in, dive in, mentally, spiritually, in every other capacity, but really say, hey, this is it. This could be me. Not just something to occupy my time, but really me. 
when he made that decision, there's a new Michael, somebody who perked up, someone who looked in the eye more, someone who would add a few more words, if not sentences, to answers. Michael's always had always been economy of words, lots of thoughts. Don't get me wrong. Lots of opinions. You know, he's not a man who is short on words, but at least in an interview setting, played his cards pretty close to his chest, didn't want to say too much. And that has only increased and improved in his opening up over the years. And so I appreciate the fact that uh, we can have pretty good detailed conversations. Some of them, as you mentioned, off the record, many of them on the record. Um, and I appreciate Michael in more and more ways every year because he has indeed gone from somebody who was here but not all the way in to somebody that is among the most heavily invested in what he does of all the team owners in IndyCar. And again, the guy's in 37 different series. So not so much of a different guy. And I appreciate that. When I see Michael and ask him questions on the record or we're just chatting about something off the record, like it's not so much the interview switch goes on and you get tight-lipped, short answers, can't wait till this is over. Um, I think just with more time and more comfort, uh, he's become someone that I, I do enjoy speaking with. And it's not like I ever dislike speaking with him, but now it's actually become, oh, cool. Hey, I got a question for Michael, and we're going to get a chance to talk about something. Calls could be short, could be a little bit longer. Uh, always mindful, David, that he is indeed, like I said, running 37 different racing teams. So not exactly a lot of time for him to just chit chat about the weather and all kinds of other stuff. But yeah, uh, I'm really happy for him and what is happening for him and, and his evolution, uh, as a person going to close here with Don Gregory says the, uh, the passing of the flying Hawaiian Danny and guys had me thinking that he was uh, John Andretti before John Andretti was John Andretti. Uh, what are your memories of the flying Hawaiian MP says much love to you, your wife and the cat crew. Thank you. Thank you again, Don, for closing the show here. Grew up watching him. This would have been, you know, a little more tail end of his top line career. And as I mentioned on our uh, hashtag racing family show, I appreciated in Danny the same thing that many others did, that he was such an immense and versatile talent. Uh, like you said, with John Andretti, uh, I mean, he was kind of the pioneer of that going left, right, up, down, backwards, any form of racing. He was seemingly in it and in it, doing it at the highest level. Uh, I loved the fact that Danny was just full throttle and feeling it wasn't anyone who was ever going to be accused of being a technical driver and having great feedback and knowing all the engineering minutiae that was never his reputation it was as a guy who was going to go out wring the car's neck come back in and not give you much to help make it better uh and then go out with whatever change you made and drive that to the extreme limits of 
time space continuum uh bending into some sort of crazy warp so no it's more of a general answer than a specific one but that's what i appreciated about him there was always this kind of mystic thing about him because he said so little and was so introverted yet had this insane ability to go a zillion miles an hour so it's somewhat normal when you get someone like that who is so outrageously fast and talented that you are led inside a little bit and you understand how they do what they do and you you get a clearer picture of this artisan and he wasn't that guy and so i just always loved that kind of duality of him don the fact that the guy could be the fastest thing at the track on the planet on that day and you know what you were just gonna have to take that and accept that and enjoy that on your own because you weren't going to get an hour-long interview. You weren't going to get in-depth how I how I drive race cars fast by Danny and guys. Not at all. It was, ooh, it's a little spooky. How does this guy do it? I don't know. He doesn't really tell us, but he sure does it. I like that. We don't get a lot of that. And it wasn't self-importance. It wasn't any ego thing. Uh, just a, a thousand percent introvert. And we have the big, silly willpowers of the world who do the same thing, go just as fast. We know everything about power. He talks about everything. And I love that about him. And uh, so many of those that we marvel at do that now. And, and you know, been doing it for a couple of decades has kind of been the norm where uh, you know, drivers crack open uh, themselves and, and bring the fan inside and, Here's one of the holdouts. Here's one of the folks that we just had to uh, take the fact that, you know, whatever he did in the car, whatever speed that he put up, we were just going to have to enjoy that and that alone. I kind of like that. So, yeah, going to miss him. Some real serious ties to Racer Magazine uh, that I hope you're going to get to read about here by uh, Racer founder and owner Paul Fanner. And... I don't want to get sad to close the show here, but I will tell you with Danny's passing being stacked on top of so many other passings, just that sense of comfort in me at least, and maybe some of you as well, that uh, the folks who made some of us, maybe some older fans, uh, love the sport and who added so much character, so many stories that we recall, things that helped us in whatever individual ways to build the foundation of our love for racing. Could have been a driver, team owner, a reporter, PR person, whomever. With the passing of so many of those folks over the last year or two, it's just... Uh, a bit of a, a empty feeling in my stomach uh, of, oof, boy, gotta love the ones who we still have, who still make this sport so amazing. Uh, and for those of you who are 
newish to the sport and love it because of something you saw and name the driver alexander rossi do or similar we should hopefully have alexander for decades and decades to come um but man that is a sad ish thing about life so you're going to get older some of the folks that made you love the sport and were your favorites and whose shirts you wore and hats you wore and whose autographs you got and put those in your little memorabilia trophy area and whatnot. Going to come a time where we start losing them. You start losing them. And at least for me, uh, been in that zone for a little while now where a lot of the names, a lot of the faces, the voices, some of whom I've gotten to know very well in this new profession of mine. I keep saying new. It's like 16 years ago. I started doing this maybe longer, whatever, um, yeah, it's just an adjustment, uh, but never a comfortable one. So gosh, just hate to hear about Danny and know, uh, with some of his connections to racer and with some of the, uh, loved ones here and team members that, yeah, this is, uh, being felt heavily and I hope we don't have to, uh, write too many more obituaries this year. All right. Thank y'all for sending in your questions here. I don't know if I'm going to have a guest this week. It's one of the things that as things are getting a little bit busier for me, um, dialing back a little bit on the guest shows, it's not because I don't want to have McLaughlin or whomever on. It's just things ramp up here Wednesday at about noon and don't slow down until the weekend uh, with appointments from my, my wife that we're going to be going to. So um, apologies for those who are missing uh, the podcast driver interviews, but hopefully time permitting, that's the cool thing about the uh, hashtag racing family live aspect of Twitter spaces. Instead of this being something to schedule and see when you can make happen with so-and-so days in advance, uh, it might just be easiest to do more of these uh, somewhat impromptu. Hey, half hour, uh, Jack Harvey, for example, I think Jack and I are going to try and do something here, maybe even tomorrow uh, or Thursday, and I might just be sitting in a car somewhere. Uh, but just talk about his weekend, first weekend with Rahal Letterman Lanigan. It might be a little bit more like that. Uh, and I know that at least until I get the recording of the uh, Racing Family shows done and dropped on to the podcast um, host at Podbean, you know, it might be a little bit more catch it if you can uh, compared to it being delivered straight uh, to your phone or wherever else via subscription uh, to the podcast. But trying to do something here that's new, uh, and also it was fitting my schedule maybe a little bit better. So please bear with me as I do that. Uh, it's genuinely, genuinely all being done for you. Hopefully, uh, just to add to your enjoyment of the sport. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt podcast brought to you by Cooper tires, the justice brothers, torontomotorsports.com. Speak to you soon. <laughs>